Hello, hello, and hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back for another episode. If not now, when? Today I have a very special guest for you, Erin Hines. Erin is not only a serious entrepreneur, guys. He's also an Inspiring VC with a full passion to support the startup community, and today he's a co-founder of Darby, a social network for philanthropy. He's not only that, guys. He also alumni for the Founders Institute, the world's largest, the largest pre-seeded startup accelerator. In addition, he's also part of the generator to help grow the startup ecosystem in Houston, Texas. With that, guys, I am so excited. Thank you so much, Aaron, for joining us, and welcome to the show. Wow! Thanks, Win, for that intro. It's a pleasure to connect with you. Yes, yes,、um, Aaron. I oh my God, you've done so much. So tell us, how does that all get started? How do you become a serious entrepreneur and VC? That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it definitely doesn't happen over day.、Um, I'm aspiring to be a serial entrepreneur and a VC, but I still kind of see myself as a student that's learning about entrepreneurship, learning about investment, and getting to see and meet entrepreneurs every single day. I mean, for me, it sounds cliche, but I really got started early on. Not so much in you know tech startups and what we think of traditional startups or the apples or you know Bill Gates. It wasn't really like that for me. For me, it was projects. I was really interested in learning about different things, about the environment, about science,、um, solving problems in my neighborhood.、Um, you know, pr- pretty much in high school is when I developed taking action on these ideas and these projects. The very first kind of Community-oriented venture.、Um, today, we would have thought of it as a nonprofit if it had been filed、uh, with, you know, with our government. But basically, when I was a 15-year-old kid, I got my friends together, and we noticed that the city was having budget cuts in our local park. I mean, parks to us were everything. We couldn't drive. We really couldn't go anywhere. So, being outside in Colorado and being at the park was so core to our community for my for my age. And so.、Mm-hmm. During the 2008 financial crisis, the city where I grew up in was having some budget cuts. My friends and I got together, and we literally went door to door, pitching people—not a sales pitch, but just telling them, "Hey, this is what's going on in the neighborhood. This is who we are. We're, you know, folks here in the neighborhood, and we want to get together and raise some money to go buy trash cans and really take care of our park and clean up the、wow. park. We'll do, we'll do weekly at, cleanups." At age of 15, that's incredible. What, yeah. What was the drive? What was it? Were was it? You just feel like it needed to be done. It has to be you. Like, how do you, in such a young age, and just having that, that, that drive to really serve the community at large? Well, I think it was less about, you know, oh, I'm I'm going to be this great entrepreneur, or I have an idea I want to see come to light. I think it was more like, you know, I saw this problem in my neighborhood that was affecting me and my friends. I didn't really understand the greater market forces, and you know, until getting my degree in economics and looking back. But I think what drove the action to actually put ourselves out there, get together, and 
you know, communicate to the, our neighbors and actually solicit donations from them, which we did get enough money to accomplish the goal of putting trash cans back in the, in the community park was kind of just saying, hey, how do we solve this problem? And it's like, well, you know, this was really before we used a lot of technology, social media. I mean, we had no budget, nothing like full startup mode. There's a problem. How do we solve it? And the thing, the only thing we could really think of was, well, let's just start talking to people. Let's talk to our neighbor. Maybe they can help us out. And that That's was kind incredible. of the very essence of how that got started. And you are not even afraid at age of 15? I mean, it, I don't think, I think the ignorance is, is kind of bliss where it's like, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't have enough experience to be afraid to put myself out there. I was just like, Hey, this seems like a good idea. Let's try it out. And, mm-hmm. and that's a really beautiful thing because, you know, as you grow up, go through life and you're tested and you have trials, uh, you can get beaten down and it's very hard to put yourself out there with your ideas, especially as, you know, bigger and bigger ideas come up. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, okay, so sounds like in age of 15, you already have a taste of entrepreneurship, right? You really are problem solving, uh, focused, trying to serve the community. So then then what? Then what happened next? Well, you know, I, I had to move out. I left Colorado and I came to college in Texas State University, which is outside of Austin. And from there, I, I, I had two choices. I really love the environment. So I could pursue like an environmental uh, science degree and, and, you know, bioscience, or I could continue down the path of learning about business and economics. Uh, one thing I learned when I was in high school before going into college was I'm, I'm really interested in both. I can understand both, but there's a lot of collective action problems in the environmental space. If you look at pollution, if you look at you know, any kind of air quality, oceans, uh, biodiversity, there's a ton of problems around the environment that I really care about, but they mm-hmm. can't be solved with one person or even one country or one company. They're collective action problems. So we need everyone right. to work on these problems. So I, I, I recognize that, you know, things I was really passionate about with the environment were so much bigger than myself. And then when I looked at economics, and the reason I was interested in economics, I had never heard of it before. I took a class and I ended up taking all of the economics class that were offered at my high school. And I took the AP uh class like test for the college class and I got a perfect score uh, a score of five so I got the highest score in economics and I'm like well I'm really good at this but I don't really want to pursue it too much what the decision ended up coming down to was if I pursue economics and I learn about business and how to create things how to be an entrepreneur how the economy works then I could apply that knowledge to something I'm really passionate about which is the environment So I ended up getting a degree, an undergraduate degree in economics, and my theory kind of paid off. Now, necessarily with my venture or my venture Darby, which I'm a co-founder of, we don't exclusively look at problems in the environment, but part of our social impact has played out into that. And I'd love to tell you more about Darby, but I guess to finish my story about, you know, what I was doing in college, I started this small venture called Backyard Adventures. And that was more of a business focused on the environment. And it was really my first time trying to combine something I was passionate about, Mm -hmm. about social impact, about 
the environment and pollution and you know all of those kind of issues and try to turn that into an eco-friendly or a green business with mm -hmm. my education from the from so the university that's beautiful and um Aaron sounds like you always knew that environmental issue is where your heart is even though you pursue business degree is that true yeah, I, I think I, I said, you know, after high school, I said, I really care about this, but I need to go learn a few things before I can come back and really make a bigger impact. Mm -hmm. It's so beautiful. I love that. You know, everyone can have a job, but not everyone have a passion. And I see someone like you who have such a clear dedication to something that you truly fully believing in and wanted to really benefit mankind at large. It's so incredible. Thanks. That's just so incredible. Like I thought today when you're looking at folks who are at college age, you know, you just 19, 20, you ask them what they wanted to do in life. They're probably going to say, I'm going to find a job, going to, you know, get an apartment, you know, like I thought really I see people have a, such a clear passion, such a clear purpose in life. I think that's just so beautiful about your story and what really inspired me in the first place. So tell me, after um, the college experience, do you always knew that you're going to become a serious entrepreneur and focus on environmental issue? Well, how does that, how does Darby really come about after you graduate? Yeah, so, so I had a venture called Backyard Adventures in college. And basically that was, a, you know, a regular business, a guide led tours. You'd, you know, pay me, I'd take you kayaking, backpacking, camping, really kind of in the environment, not very scalable. What, what kind of happened was I became a serial entrepreneur by default. And what I mean by that is my first venture didn't work out. <laughs> so it was kind of like, well, what this isn't. So the, so the reason why Backyard Adventures failed was because I, I fell into some of the common entrepreneur pitfalls that every entrepreneur startup business really has to overcome. So one of the first things was I tried to grow a team, but I didn't really know how to do that effectively. I didn't really know how to attract the you know people with my vision that had the right skills and resources and network that I needed to grow the company. So that was, that was a major pitfall that I learned um, after stopping Backyard Adventures and then becoming the co-founder of Darby. That was one thing. I'm curious. Oh, I love that you just shared that pitfall. I'm curious at that moment before you even started Darby yet, when you were, you know, struggling or having that experience challenge with, you know, finding the right team, right people, was it hard to accept that failure the very first time? Since at that moment that's everything you wanted to do. Yeah, so that was probably one of the lower points of my life. Not because maybe the business failed on its own, but I had graduated college. Um, I had, you know, traveled around the summer kind of before deciding to go full time on the business. I had one of the things I tried to do was seek out mentorship about my business. So I spent I spent some time at the summer um, mentoring with another person who was an entrepreneur. They'd owned a guide led business similar to, you know, what I was trying to do. So I, I was I was at a, I was writing a high at graduate college. I was going to, okay, I'm going to go full-time in my business. I had not taken, you know, any kind of jobs upon graduation. It was really risky. And, and then three months later, you know, some things had happened. And here I am. I'm not in school. I'm not employed. And 
I basically had to give up on my business because the other pitfalls were I, I didn't have a scalable model. So, you know, it wasn't tech based. It wasn't really designed around a scalable revenue model. And it would be very hard because another pitfall was I really had misidentified my customer and I truly didn't understand my the right customer and therefore I wasn't solving the problem of who I thought I was. So those those are massive pitfalls if you're if you're an entrepreneur. And for me to take that risk looking back, I'm like, I don't know how my parents, you know, slept that night. I'm, I'm sure they were probably really worried about me. Mm-hmm. So that that's that's what happened after college and, and after So how did my, you get up? Well, yeah, so it took a long it took a long time. It took about six months before I really mentally and emotionally was ready to kind of put myself back out into the world and, and try to, you know, survive and, and grow. So how? Uh, because I think I imagine today um, many entrepreneurs, you know, we are in different stage of our businesses and many entrepreneurs probably are also struggling. Maybe they are also uh, just been through another pitfall that um, is detrimental. Like, what advice, what what insight you can share with anyone who maybe just right now in the journey, in the struggle, and just don't see the light yet? Yeah. So I think one of the things that died with my with my first venture that I the first kind of thing I had to get back was identity. I I had identified myself as an entrepreneur. I'm the founder of you know Backyard Adventures that's my brand. This is what I do. This is my mission. All those core things that you set out when you start your company and when you want to really grow your company culture, all of that, that also affects you as a person. So Mm -hmm. when my venture died, my first, you know, kind of real venture died, my identity of like, well, if I'm not doing this, I don't know who I am or what I'm going to do. And so that was kind of the first thing I had to get back. And that, that was more of a enlightenment kind of after so many months of you know I should be doing this maybe I could start again what should I do just kind of letting it go and 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 realizing that I am still an entrepreneur but that idea I don't you know my entrepreneurship doesn't have to end with that one idea that idea ultimately failed but I learned from it and you know was ready to start the next venture that's beautiful. And I know you mentioned that you're very passionate about learnings and sounds like this failure is just temporary and it's actually part of your learning journey. Yeah. And that's where the serial entrepreneur by default and being a student of entrepreneurship and being a student of solving problems came into hand where I realized, you know, this idea is not going to work. I got that fire back in me, but very important. What I learned was you can't just maybe have an idea and pursue it and try to build a business, you're going to fail a lot. And so what I really realized was after I said, okay, my identity is I'm still an entrepreneur. Now I'm out looking for ideas. And that's actually how I became the co-founder of Darby was I had Mm. skills that I was working on and I wanted to become a co-founder or a founder. And I was looking for problems to solve and fascinating ideas. And that's when I met my co-founder, I heard him pitch the idea for Darby and, and, you know, that's, that's where we are today. Wow. That's, that's incredible. And I love what you commented on earlier about really that stuff. I was, you have to reshape your identity and start realizing you are still who you are, despite that first 
uh, challenges or the failure, quote unquote, and you're able to really pick yourself up and put yourself out there. Then start realize, you know what? I'm gonna start over, and maybe I don't have the right idea right now, but I'm gonna look for someone can help me and support me. I think that's a tremendous um, self awareness and conscious, and really able to kind of level set and position yourself in the right way, so you can really um, on your journey again, right? Yeah, definitely. And it also takes uh, time and and resources. Um, You know, being a college graduate with a venture that had failed, I had no resources, but I had a lot of time. So that that was great. I think one of the things that's really hard about entrepreneurship is people love to talk about ideas and they talk about all these trends. And here we're talking about identity and that's how you get back on the horse. But there's a very real cost and risk, a financial risk becoming an entrepreneur and starting a venture. And so that was another one of the things that took some time. Um, you know, I said, I'm an entrepreneur, but I don't have an idea right now. I need to get resources. So I started working, saved up enough money to step away from my job and, you know, get an apartment in Houston. I moved to Houston and I was kind of looking out for the next idea that I thought we could, you know, scale a company out of. Mm-hmm. Okay, so tell us how do you how does Darby um, start it? Right, so Darby, as you mentioned, is a social network for philanthropy. Our main mission is to connect donors and volunteers to nonprofits in their community. And the way it started was uh, my co-founder. He was his name is Richard Sebastian Alexander, and he actually had the original idea for this platform. There was a couple of big macroeconomic things that happened that led him to kind of come to this idea. So the first thing is when you had the ALS challenge, do, I, don't, I don't know if uh, you remember that from, it's probably maybe four or five years ago, the ALS challenge, the ice bucket challenge, it was fundraising for the ALS foundation. Mm-hmm. So basically there was this viral challenge on social media where you know, to simulate what it feels like to, to have this horrible disease, you know, you, you get dunked with a, a bunch of ice uh, water and it kind of shocks your oh. system. I don't, I don't know if you remember that challenge or not, but that, yes, that yes, was, I do. So that That's went crazy. Yeah. That went viral. Right. And the next year after that went viral, you start seeing GoFundMe and Facebook really kind of honing in on the philanthropy space. So that, that was really the macro element kind of mm. showed it created a lot of data and a case study for using technology and philanthropy and philanthropy is, is not, you know, very sexy. Traditionally it's a industry that, you know, we don't think of social media and we don't really think of the hottest technology and we don't really think of mm-hmm. entrepreneurship and innovation and philanthropy. It's always been about duty, about responsibility to society and, you know, really, supporting the charities that you care about out of, you know, either out of respect or responsibility, duty, any one of those things. The, the, so that was the first one. And then the second one was Hurricane Harvey started here down in Houston about three years ago. And that was a massive disaster. I mean, it was Mm -hmm. just terrible for the people and, in Houston, as well as the coastal areas near Louisiana and South Texas. My co-founder, Sebastian, he was actually here in Houston. He's a resident. He was here during Harvey, and 
you you heard so many stories about the devastation. One of the things you also hear was all the the good things people were doing. And that's kind of that the very original idea, the foundation that our company is built upon is that we want to highlight the good things people are doing. And that was kind of his original thought when he was witnessing Hurricane Harvey, witnessing the community, his neighborhood and people in the city coming together to help each other out. And he kind of realized if we had technology, you know, we have this existing technology in social media and other departments. We had a technology to manage resources, to communicate with people, to really link volunteers and donors to nonprofits and emergency Mm -hmm. organizations. We could be so much more effective at highlighting the good things people are doing in a social way and combating disasters and other type of social problems, environmental problems. So those were the two macroeconomic things that really spurred his idea. And I heard him pitching this idea to someone at a social entrepreneurship or social impact group. And that's kind of where we met. And I sat down with him for three hours and he just opened up everything to me, which I don't know if I would advise that to entrepreneurs. Like if you, <laughs> if you don't know people, if, if you know, if you're talking to a stranger, you might want to like tread a little bit lightly, check out who they are. But you know, I'm, I'm legitimate. I had great intention. He, he's legitimate. He had great intention. We just connected. He said, Hey, here's the idea. Here's everything I've been doing. And he'd been working on uh, Darby as the idea for about two or three years before I really became the mm-hmm. co-founder. So it was just kind of crazy. Two strangers meeting. I was attracted by the vision and ultimately he and I are both motivated by values of social, social impact and entrepreneurship. That is so beautiful. I feel like almost a meant to be story. Yeah, it, highly unlikely. I mean, we're... Uh, <laughs> Don't we're say inv- that happens. Well, I I would say that if you were to see both of us together, you wouldn't, and you didn't know us, you wouldn't know that we were co-founders, uh, that we were partners. Like we're at such very different stages in our life. I mean, we come from two different worlds, but we connect really well with our personalities and we both really care about our mission and we have skills that are very complementing to each other. So it can happen. It's just highly unlikely. That's beautiful. Um, so second time around, is everything smooth selling? It's it's better. I, I wouldn't really say that it's, you know, everything's going according to plan and, and uh, you know, it's smooth sailing. There, there's always a little bit of uncomfortableness, a little bit of a grind to get things done. But that's entrepreneurship. You know, if, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. For and sure. yeah, but it, for second time around, you know, I, I definitely learned having a team is just incredible <laughs> mm-hmm. compared to the first venture. Having so, a scalable, having mm-hmm. a scalable revenue model is is also critical, to, you know, compared to the first venture. Mm-hmm, for sure. Sounds like um, you and your co-founder are really complementing each other in terms of skill set. And now you have a team and you have a correct or a right revenue model to help you to scale. Um, so what's the biggest challenge for you? I mean, I think our biggest challenge, unfortunately, we have a few big challenges. It's hard for me to think of the biggest one. Um I would say that the major challenges that we're facing as a startup is 
you know, we're we're a tech platform, and neither of us were initially technical. So, you know, neither of us really knew code. Really, neither of us really understood computer science or software engineering. We were just two really passionate people about the subject, and we realized that the best solution was the technology solution. So, we, you know, we've had to learn. We've gained technical advisors, mentorships. Uh, interns and even you know trying to grow our technical team. The biggest challenge is probably finding that technical co-founder to eventually get us to you know over the hump. But in the meantime, mm -hmm. we're still building our MVP and working on our proof of concept. And the greatest thing about being in 2020 or you know being at any time in entrepreneurship right now is there are so many online tools, free tools, cheap SaaS tools mm -hmm. that can help you prove a concept or, you know, bust out an MVP without an advanced uh, engineering degree. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's kind of one of the things. Another thing is funding. Um, you know, like I said, philanthropy traditionally has not been looked at as a hot market or an innovative market. Um, you know, if you look at when nonprofits who are our main customers adopt technology, it's, it's very far and few Far and far and few in between, and also, it's not they're not early adopters of technology. They're more like maybe late adopters or, you know, early majority, late majority mm -hmm. of technology. So that's that's going to be another problem is really educating our customer and, and getting them to buy into this solution. Mm -hmm, for sure. Um, so today is MVP ready, and how can we support you? So the MVP is almost ready. Um, my the way kind of I feel about it is like it's never going to be perfect, so get it out there. But mm -hmm. um, you know, it's got to have the functionality, and it's got to have at least the basic things you need, or the minimal viable things you need to prove the concept. And so we're we're probably about eighty percent of the MVP right now. We actually had to pivot during COVID-19. We were working on our MVP. We had a test client. We were going to staff a, a large event um, for, this, for our nonprofit client with volunteers. You know, we had done some rapid development with the user story, got their input. We, you know, we were rocking and rolling, ready to go. COVID happens, and unfortunately, a lot of the events got canceled, in-person events. And in-person events get canceled for nonprofits. That's that's a terrible thing for their fundraising, for their volunteer programs. It was just chaos. And that really kind of hurt our business initially, but then we decided to pivot and really focus on a PPE drive. And that's what we've been focusing on pretty much the last four or five months since the quarantines and lockdowns in the U.S. is helping channel PPE donations to nonprofits and first responders in need. Mm -hmm. that's, that's incredible. Um, I love that you're able to really see the situation and pivot quickly and continue to serve the community that you are really passionate about. That's incredible. Um, so Aaron, is this everything you wanted it? You know, you mentioned you set off wanted to be entrepreneurs wanted to focus on environmental uh, issue that you passionate about. Is this everything you want? Like, is this the perfect scenario? I think as far as making an impact, um, 
you know, I don't know how much bigger of an impact I could have if our company was successful. If we were able to help fund and staff small, medium, and even large nonprofits all over the U.S. and all over the world, eventually, you know, that I don't really see a bigger impact than that, except for a new passion that I've kind of discovered through the entrepreneurship and learning that ventures come and they go and ideas come and they go and they change is that if I, if I can, you know, launch a company that has this impact, that's great. But, you know, we know the statistics and we know the odds that that most likely will not happen. It's not because we're not a good team. It's not because we don't have a valid idea or we're not working hard enough. There's just a lot of things that have to line up for you to make it to that crazy level of success as we know the unicorns to be in the, in the tech world, not to mention the nonprofit world. So, so we're still pursuing this idea and we're still working on it and we're still passionate, believe in it, and we're headed towards success. But I realized that the only way to really get over those statistics per each entrepreneur, per each venture is to be able to fund and help as many entrepreneurs and founders get their ideas off the ground. And so that's where my personal passion came, okay, this is what I want to do for my community is the environment. And this is what I want to do for maybe a job is, you know, grow a company, become an entrepreneur. But a personal passion that came out of all of that was to help other people like myself, my co-founder, all the people I've met in my journey who are also founders working on their ideas. Eventually, I would love to become an angel or a VC and fund all of these great companies so that one or two or you know x amount of these people can reach the level of success that we so desperately need mm -hmm. that's beautiful so it sounds like you have that passion now you know being through the, your own journey you want to support other entrepreneurs and um in that you know vc in that funding round um you've been be part of generator for some times now is this is that aligned with your vision yeah, Generator is a great company to work for. I'm truly grateful to, you know, get to work with entrepreneurs and around startups and venture capital for my for my day job. That is just so immensely immensely helpful for my own startup journey, but also that is kind of what fueled and sparked the passion. Um, mm. When we, you know, when we were starting Darby, we're looking for resources. One of the first things we did was a local community college, the Houston Community College, we did a business plan competition. And we didn't get first, but we won enough money off our business plan idea and pitch to invest that money into an accelerator. So that's where we joined the Founder Institute that had launched their first cohort in Houston. They're out of Palo Alto and have been in cities all over the world. We joined that first cohort. And the whole time I was like, okay, these people are definitely gonna tell us we're crazy. You know, things are getting, <laughs> things are getting serious. I'm just expecting to fail. I'm just, you know, like this isn't kind of little leagues anymore. Like we had to pay some money to get into the program. It's very extensive application. I mean, it's all data driven. Uh, they talk, you know, Adea Resi, the CEO of Founder Institute, he has some articles talking about the entrepreneur DNA and, and like in kind of all the science behind entrepreneurship. So you know, if we were to get in this program, I said, okay, either we're crazy or we've, we're on to something. And, you know, week after week, we continued to move through the program and ended up graduating from the Founder Institute. 
after that, we started working on the MVP, but all through my entrepreneurship journey, I'd always been struggling with what do I do with my, you know, full time or what do I do with my day job? What do I do for income to live? Because a lot of these ideas are really early on pre-revenue, right? And then, and I just, it was something I always struggled with. So one day I'm on LinkedIn and I see this post and I don't even really understand what it is. It turned out to be a job posting for an associate position with Generator. They were launching a new accelerator called G-Beta in Houston. Uh, I didn't really even understand. I mean, they, there wasn't even a button to upload your your resume, right? Like it was kind of like a form and just had some questions like, are you interested <laughs> in startups? I'm like, yeah, I'm a founder. I'm interested in startups. So um, my current boss, her name is Eleanor. She was the one that was, you know, helping launch this program in, in Houston. She calls me the same day while I'm working at another job, you know, just trying to make ends meet. She calls me and, hey, I received your application and asked me some really quick questions. I totally didn't expect wow. that. It was just on the fly. It was like, uh, yeah, you know, I just tried to respond. Okay, okay, yeah. And she goes, okay, can you do this interview? Sure. So I come in like the next week for an interview. I'm talking with Eleanor. She, you know, I have my resume. She kind of looks at it and she, you know, she had, oh, oh, you're a co-founder, you know, what's Darby? So I'm like, well, Dar and then, you know, I started talking about what we were doing and I felt like the interview kind of stopped. She put down the resume. She asked me more pointed questions about what I was working on. I happened to mention, you know, we had a new feature or whatever. She pulled out her phone, proceeded to like log in, go through our entire app, like all the work I had done the night before that I had stayed up working on. Wow. on the startup, you know, this person that I was interviewing for a day job was so interested in what I was doing, you know, maybe not because I'm special or anything, but she just cared that much about entrepreneurship startups and mm -hmm. it was a lifestyle. And so after, that was like the craziest interview I'd ever been in, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't mm -hmm. why you're good for the job. It was just like, Hey, she recognized I had a passion and, you know, seeing her really take the time to, look at and understand and ask questions and interact what I'd been building at night and on the weekends for so long with my co-founder just mm -hmm. really made me attracted to the company because it's like, I want to mm -hmm. be as an entrepreneur, what better place to be than working with accelerators and, and, you know, mm -hmm. and VC. So that's how I got my job at generator. I met Eleanor. She She's amazing. Yeah. She looked through everything and she, and she told me, Hey, if I, you know, do you want to do this? If I bring you on board, you're going to have to hustle, but this will change your career. You know, if you want to be in startups, accelerators and VC, if you want to, you know, do that kind of route, this is a perfect opportunity, but you're going to have to work hard on top of building your company. So mm -hmm. that was kind of the deal we made. I said, okay, I'll go down this road mm -hmm. and I can commit to that. And, you know, I've been working with her ever since. Um, and that's how I got started with Generator. And it's just been a great learning experience and a pleasure to be working with them on the accelerator side of entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. And this is so beautiful, Aaron. Thank you for sort of really sharing that journey as an open book. And I want to address something that I felt oftentimes not being talked about. I think entrepreneurship sounds very glamorous, very, you know, fancy outside. But yeah, you know, you mentioned, right, you always 
not struggle, but just want to figure out the day job because you're probably not yet, you know, we're not just you, but a lot of early entrepreneurs can't pay themselves yet, right? So you had to figure that out and you really hustle. You work, you no know, daytime and evening and weekends. Can you share a little bit about that? Like, was it just, that's just part of the game? I feel like a lot of people don't talk about the hardship, don't talk about, you know, the work ethic, the commitment. Yeah, I, I think... It's uh, it's kind of hard for me to talk about this subject because it's so personal. And, um, you know, being an entrepreneur has not been a glamorous journey for me. Uh, being being an entrepreneur and pursuing ideas to the level that you're pitching people, you're going through accelerators, you're putting money up, you're, you know, not mm-hmm. uh, you're not pursuing what would be the best interest for maybe your family or your finances or your personal dreams outside of business. Like you really have to risk a lot and put up a lot. And you also have to finance this unless you get investment funding, which you almost never do super early on. I mean, you have to get to a kind of a threshold on traction or revenue or users before you really kind of get, you know, Mm -hmm. the resources to support you and even going to pitch competitions and doing, grants, all of that takes time and effort and practice. And all of that means if you're doing that, that means you're not working or you're not, you know, earning Mm -hmm. every hour you spend on your business, you're not getting paid for it could have been an hour you are getting paid for. So the, you know, when people say the grind, the hustle, I, I do, I do kind of see those things and relate to them. But for me, it's really more about like survival and not everyone like this. There's a lot of entrepreneurs that go, they make a great career at a large company or, you know, they, they start off in something that has a lot of traction or they're in the right time in the market and it just takes off. But there are some entrepreneurs and maybe I'll just speak for myself. For me, it was very hard to be in an early stage, you know, pre-revenue startup. And we're going on year two of, of Darby. And mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I don't, one thing I learned as an entrepreneur is you don't, when you're, when you're in your entrepreneur mode, you don't talk about your day job. Luckily for me, I was able, I was lucky enough to get a day job in uh, startups, accelerators and, and VC world with generators. So now that's all I do. But before when I was going through competitions, when I was meeting people, you know, at meetups late at night on the weekends, when I was going through our accelerator that was kind of the crazy part of my life. Um, it was like I would go to work during the day for job number one. And then I would, you know, after work, go to the accelerator and work in our meetings and do that. And then, you know, we had company building work every week, plus pa- practicing for pitches, plus, you know, mentor office hours, plus running whatever the company was doing at that time outside of the accelerator. And then I would go work at night or on the weekends at maybe job number two. And that was kind of the, uh, I was working at Whole Foods while I was going through the accelerator as a second job. So, and I worked in the seafood department cutting fish. So it was kind of this weird imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. of, I need to pay the bills. My, you know, bills are very real. We got mortgage, we got all types of stuff that I have to pay or, you know, just do to survive car insurance, you know, just stuff that every person has to at least make. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so I'm going through that 
go to a day job, clock in, clock out. Nobody, nobody really knows what I do or what I've been working on, why I'm there. It's just, you know, I'm punching a paycheck. I'm just trying to collect a paycheck. But then at night and on the weekends and on calls, I'm not that person anymore. I'm a founder. I'm a co-founder. I'm an entrepreneur. Um, you know, I'm pitching a idea for a social network that will disrupt an entire philanthropy industry. It's for, you know, billion dollar market. Like all of these conversations and experiences, it was like day and night. It Very rarely mm-hmm. did they ever come together. And so that was the craziest experience up until I became an associate for Generator was that I had kind of two different lifestyles or two, like two circles. One where people only exclusive me, exclusively knew me as an entrepreneur co-founder and then one where people only really knew me as just an everyday person punching a, a ticket. And that was a very weird time, but it's a necessary time to mm-hmm. kind of survive and make it to the next level. What would you advise for folks who maybe been through that right now? And it's very difficult, right? The balancing the right mindset and not get defeated. Yeah. I, moment. Like, how do you? Um, I think the first thing is very obvious. I mean, it, it takes a lot of work. You have to, you don't have to be excited, but you have to put in the work. You have to get up and go to work to sustain yourself. You need to have a source of income or a way to sustain yourself. And if you're going to step away from your job, you really need to understand your financials and your burn rate and how long you can sustain your venture without going under. So that's kind of the first thing is like, you really need to understand the gravity of the situation and what you're undertaking. And then the second thing is, it's it's hard so it's okay to it's okay to break down i mean there was a lot of time it was highs and lows there was times where like we graduated from the accelerator and i felt like you know it, it was the the highest the highlight of the year the highlight of my life or whatever because it was like mm-hmm. we did it all these people are here for us we pitched and this is the idea we've been working so hard on and people are interested in what we're doing and you get that traction and that momentum. So that, you know, you definitely have the high, but like, there's a lot of lows. It's like, why am I doing this? Is this going to work? Like, you know, you, you build it and it's has bugs. You pitch people and they don't understand it. You try you get partners and then, you know, maybe they back out. So you get team members and then it, you know, it doesn't work out. So there are so many lows. You just have to keep going with that. And that's where the, the being a student of, entrepreneurship really taking failure as a learning opportunity that's what kind of gets me through the lows and the and the hustle that i guess other people would call it mm-hmm. well what drives you Aaron? and what is what does that look look like for you what is the ultimate future if you can just have a crystal ball like what does that mean for you ah uh, the driver so i think i mean it's a terrible habit of a economics person. So basically I see things in like, you know, like maybe, and if that, not this. And, and I would say there's two, (laughs) it's so like people don't like talking to economics grads or professors because they're like, well, if you do this, it could be this, or it could be that. Right. So on the micro level, just on a personal level, what kind of drives me is I really think that, you know, seeing the change and impact on a person 
even just one person, even if it's just one day, one week, uh, one aspect of their life is extremely rewarding and powerful. And that's why, you know, social impact and nonprofit work and philanthropy and just really solving problems in society, whether it's for a neighbor or a customer or a tribe or a community or a nation or a global problem, saving all, you know, solving all of those problems has an impact directly on people's lives. And that's, that's something that drives me personally. And I think on the macro level, you know, having an idea and saying this, this should exist. And, you know, if it's an idea that has an impact like that for what I personally care about, which is impacting other people and the environment and entrepreneurs, if it has that great, but on the macro level, just having an idea, working through it, going through the challenges and then seeing it come to life is a beautiful thing. And I think really if we can see more people like that and more people in the world can experience that, then I think we would be a lot better off. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, Aaron. Well, um, thank you, Aaron. I, I just, I'm so inspired. Thank you so much for sure. Such a beautiful journey. And I just love that you have such a big heart. You're really not here just for you. You're here for all of us. And I think your dedication, your passion for philosophy and really want to, just helping the world become a better place, even one person at a time or one day at a time. It's just so, so hard touching. So I really want to say thank you for, you know, what you do. And I think um, you're going to do great things. I think the world going to be a better place because of you. So thank you for everything you do. And thank you for being part of the show. I, I deeply appreciate you. Well, it's been great when I really love talking to you and I appreciate the opportunity to share my story. So I'm really excited to see the podcast come out and, you know, what other entrepreneurs you have, I'm sure they're going to be great as well. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, all right, guys, this is the show for today. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And I cannot wait to see you guys next time. Mm-hmm.